0: shave it at the end of the month
1: oh yeah yeah car is that she 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 enjoyed it for 20-plus years and now she's like okay I'm over it (laughs) I just do it for one reason and that's to to alleviate some of the backlash from some of the old timers here gotcha if I can give them a month they're usually happy
0: (laughs) all right well looks like we're live So, Kit, if you want to start the show off. You can hear me. I guess he's, he's frozen, so I'll start the show off. All right, everybody. Sorry for the technical issue there. This is the Carolina <laughs> Weather Group, Wednesday night, uh, November the ninth episode of our show for the evening. Uh, we are doing the October flooding event from 2015, where South Carolina saw a substantial amount of rain, quite the deluge here. And we're gonna to talk to Chief Meteorologist Rob Fowler of WCBD News 2 in Charleston, South Carolina, and also Jim Gandy of Chief Meteorologist Jim Gandy of Columbia, South Carolina. And I think Kit's back on now. I'm gonna, Kit, I went ahead and started the show off for us, but uh, first first thing we like to do is kinda of go around to our panelists and talk about what the weather is doing for the area. I usually do it for Charleston, but I'm gonna bounce it to you, Rob. <laughs> Since you're already on the show, tell us a little bit about what's going on in uh, in the Charleston area for our weather recently.
1: Well, today uh, was a cloudy day. Um, That front came through, cooled things down a little bit. Uh, High was uh, at 67. Thought we'd get a little bit more sunshine. We did not. Uh, We will tomorrow. So the temperatures will be bouncing up and down, uh, going from the 60s back to the 70s, back to the 60s. And probably this weekend will be pretty chilly. Uh, For us here in Charleston, getting into the upper 30s uh, in November, uh, you know, close to the beach is pretty substantial. So um, it's, at least it's going to be dry. We continue, like many areas, to be very dry. Today was 32 days in a row that we've seen no measurable rainfall. We haven't seen a drop since uh, uh, October 8th when Matthew brought us uh, three days of almost 10 and a half inches of rain. So uh, the record here in Charleston is 41 days, and we're going uh, to threaten that by the time this is all said and done.
0: Wow, so this is the sixth, sixth longest stretch. Is that correct?
1: It's actually not number four, so 41, 38, 35, and now 32. So this is the fourth longest stretch of no measurable precipitation. I think probably, Jim, I think, Jim, you guys got a streak going on, too, as well.
2: We do indeed have a streak. Uh, In fact, right now for us, it is the ninth longest streak. We've had longer streaks. The record is 40. And right now, it looks like we're going to be very close to breaking that. We will break that record next week. Today was the 31st day with no rain. The last rain we had was October the 8th. Uh, you can see the seven-day forecast behind me. No rain through Wednesday. If we don't see any rain by Thursday, we'll break the record.
0: Wow, well, yeah. I've seen the, the drought monitor recently is showing that uh, that, yeah, that line is starting far. to creep east. Yeah. Day by day without all this rain. I mean, we, we really, I've looked at our, our future cast for the next seven days, and I tell you, it's, it's looking bleak. We keep getting these ridges built in over the southeast and just blocking mechanism.
2: Well, you know, this dry weather has been a double-edged sword. For the western half of the state, it's been awful because they were already in a drought. So this has only made it worse. But in the eastern part of the state where they had the flooding from the hurricane, it's allowed them to finally see the, the rivers recede and, and things dry out.
1: That's a good point Jim. What's interesting Shay is back in the month of October, um, we had uh one of our wettest Octobers ever and it only happened in 3 days. <laughs> so we had 3 days of rain from Matthew and the other 28 days not a drop but we actually had about 10 and a half inches of rain.
0: Seems like every year in October we have something come up that uh a major rain event of some yeah, sort. Yeah. You, it you know it's interesting
1: when when <laughs> When people call me prospective brides and grooms and they want to know what, what's a good month to get married in Charleston, I've always mentioned April and October. Those are my two favorite months for relatively dry conditions, lower humidity, comfortable temperatures. But after 2015 and 2016, I may have to rethink October now. That might not be a good idea.
0: Right, right. And the only thing we can really hope for this time of the year is where if we get a strong enough cold front to, to tap into the Gulf of Mexico and, and at least at least – drop some rain over the mountain areas. I mean, we've got multiple wildfires going on in Western North Carolina, Western South Carolina, upstate Georgia, along the, the Appalachian zone. There's, I think, 14 total, and there's some evacuations on, ongoing right now. Our other panelist, Scotty Powell, is actually up there uh, helping out with the efforts for the emergency management uh, with forecasting. And so they're dealing with a serious, rather serious situation up in, in all three corners of the state. Uh, as far as fires go and some of that smoke actually came down our way with strong north-northwest release blowing the smoke all the way down to the coastline we could actually smell it today so uh, yeah we, we really desperately need rain in the southeast area right now I'll take it over to you James if you're unmuted if you want to talk
3: about the weather in your neck of the woods you know it's funny before the show started I was contemplating whether or not I should be closing the windows, because uh, now that we're in daylight savings, 8 o'clock, it's dark, it's been, you know, cooling off for a few hours now. They're still open, but we'll see how long that lasts. But uh, I think we're in that comfortable spot right now. We're during the day, we open up the windows, get a nice little breeze, some sunshine. I mean, if we had this all year round, I think I'd be good, you know, cut back on the utilities. Uh, certainly uh, been a welcome the last few days, although we really could use that rain. Yep, yeah, and we got
0: a chill in the air coming. Uh, I think this weekend we may see some freezing temperatures make your way down so uh, but our topic for tonight is the October rain event of last year and so uh, last year we had Rob on myself I was on as a, as a guest instead of a panelist that kind of doubled us both. Uh, but we, we talked about the setup for the, the entire system how it all came to be we had over 20 inches of rain in many locales it was widespread flooding and damage all the way up into the mid and upstate South Carolina where the rain was just torrential And it went on. This was about a two and a half to almost three day event uh, across South Carolina and parts of Southeast North Carolina as well. So I'll start with you, Rob, if you want to kind of lead us off on on how the setup came to be. What were some of the major players that we were looking at that formed this event?
1: Well, we know, of course, uh, eventually Hurricane Joaquin came into the mix. But before Hurricane Joaquin, we had a stalled front. We had an upper-level low that was pumping in the moisture. Uh, even if you take Joaquin out of the equation, we knew going into this, Shay that we were going to have a rain event, and probably a significant rain event. If you'd have told me, though, what would have happened uh, you know, three days before that actually did happen, uh, I probably wouldn't have believed it, uh, because I still don't believe it. When I look back at, at what happened, it, it was just absolutely amazing, and um it just started and never stopped. And ours actually kind of started September 30th. So even though the, the main event was October 1 through 4, you know, we actually got a little bit of rain the last day of the month on September, on September 30th. Um, but, you know, and, and I don't know how to describe it. It was historic. I know we use that word a lot. I tell the school kids when I go talk to them, I said, you know, guys, other kids later in life are going to read about this in a South Carolina history book of some sort. And you guys just lived it. So that was the setup. Joaquin then, of course, added that extra little kick, uh, the fire hose effect. You've seen this, the water vapor imagery, the satellite imagery. And I think that's probably, to me, the most iconic image uh, that I can remember of in terms of a weather presentation. But then when you look at the real pictures, the real video of what happened in Jim's backyard, what happened here, what happened up in Andrews, up in Georgetown County, what happened down near the... Um, you know, in Colleton County, Walterboro, uh, just amazing. I, I, it's hard to put into words. It, it's almost like it didn't happen, but we know it did.
0: And Jim, from your perspective, how were you preparing for it in Columbia?
1: Well,
2: uh, it, it was, um, wow, <laughs> it was, as Rob says, kind of unbelievable. By Wednesday, our computer model was already showing that we were going to get a lot of rain, but it didn't make sense because on Wednesday leading up to the event, uh, the hurricane Joaquin was projected to move into eastern North Carolina, but it didn't make sense to us that we should see all that rain west of the center. Normally, you see that east of the center, Um, so we were a bit skeptical, but we, we we couldn't deny the fact that all the computer models were projecting a lot of rain by thursday morning the national hurricane center had the storm projected to move and stay off the coast but an interesting thing happened the projected rainfall for our area didn't change and at that point we knew that the hurricane was no longer the player It was something else, and it was the upper-level low that was coming into the southeast that was going to get cut off. It was going to stay here, and it was going to focus the rain across South Carolina. And our computer models, we have an in-house model, but we also were looking at all the, um, uh, the dynamic models as well, and they were all forecasting for our Columbia historic rainfall. So by Thursday, we knew that we were gonna see historic rain. We knew what the time frame was going to be and we prepared for it. And by Friday evening, we knew that the heaviest rain was going to be Saturday night into Sunday morning. And on Friday night, I mean, we've been talking about it all week, but by Friday night I said, look, you know, this is the forecast. Um, we've done as much as we can do at this point. You know, we just have to watch the forecast unfold. We certainly can't stop it. Uh, and sure enough, Saturday night, it started raining. And our rain, our heaviest rainfall was a day uh, later from what they got along the coast. Friday night, I think, Rob, y'all got some substantial rain in the coast. We weekend. did. We did not. For us, it was it was Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Those were the three days that we saw our heaviest rains, but Saturday night into Sunday was the heaviest rains. Um, we had seen a little bit of rain almost every day leading up to the event for, for about 11 days up to uh, the event. And one of the things that was interesting was we're sitting there, we're watching radar, and we see the rain just continually coming at us. And, and in fact, so much rain was was occurring that on our estimated rainfall (laughs) it went right off the scale um but the interesting thing that that uh, surprised me about this is that we were expecting heavy rain but we weren't expecting it in the way that it arrived Uh, generally when you're dealing with tropical moisture you get a lot of heavy rain and then it's gone but this was persistent rain and it wasn't all that heavy. It was like one to two inches an hour, but it was extended over a good 10 hours. So here in Columbia, we saw a huge uh, gradient of rainfall. Um, Over the three day event, the National Weather Service picked up something like about 11 inches of rain. But here on the east side of town in Columbia, we picked up 21 inches of rain. So 11 to 21 inches of rain over uh, a linear scale of about eight miles. And what it did, you know, we were expecting flooding. What we did not expect was the series of dams here on the east side of town to um, essentially breach. And all of a sudden, Sunday morning, early Sunday morning by 6 a.m., Um, just a half mile from the TV station, the whole area was completely flooded. It was inundated because three of the dams had failed, and all that water was rushing down Gills Creek. And essentially, at that point, our TV station was cut off from Columbia. There was one way into the station, one way out, and you had to go south. Uh, And it took us some time. In fact, it took some of our people here at work Four hours to get to the TV station Wow because they had to navigate their their way around all the floodwaters and Gill's Creek kind of snakes its way through Eastern Columbia uh, so that was a problem but as you can see on the graphic here uh, that it wasn't just here in Columbia that heavy rain extended all the way to the coast so not only was this a heavy rain event for Columbia and for Charleston. It was the scope, it was the scale at which we had so much rain. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the rivers couldn't handle it, and so they, they just went into the flood. So even though you had dams failing, you also had all these rivers that were flooding. And here in Columbia, it got to be a real problem down along the river because the intake uh, to the city water was damaged. And as a result, um, the, they had to shut down water here in Columbia. And here at the TV station, we were without water for three days. We were under a boil water advisory for 11. That's kind of tough. Oh, and there's one other thing you should know about the TV station. We have some property behind us. What we did not know was that in the woods behind us, there is a pond and all of the water drains to that pond. And the pond overflowed. (laughs) Jeez, and completely covered our parking lot but the drainage system had been damaged so it could not take all the water so the water went right down through the garden that i grow here at the tv station and into the back of the tv station and at at four o'clock in the morning the water starts pouring into the back of the tv station by the time people were arriving, we already had three inches of water on the first floor of the TV station. Now, fortunately, all of our broadcast facilities are on the second floor. So here we were, and and, and I knew that people were having trouble getting into work. So they, we got on the air at five o'clock in the morning. And uh my morning meteorologist was here I, I told him i said okay i'm your anchor you're the meteorologist we're going on the air because there wasn't anybody here to do it and uh so we got on the air and here we are broadcasting uh coverage of the flood while our own tv station was flooded well wow. it's wow. taken us quite a while to recover from that in fact uh, the weather center which has moved has not been completed yet we're still in the process of doing that
0: yeah I I still don't think we recovered from it 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 doesn't take very much to flood us Uh, and before that event uh, I I felt like we we dried out fairly quickly we were able to persevere through some of these heavier raining rain events but ever since this I I don't think that we fully recovered and uh, hurricane Matthew showed us even Hermine had some effects and Some areas flooded earlier than they should have, and they still continue to do that today. But I'm going to do a screen share here, and sort of – I'll bring up a blog that I put. Let me know when you can see it. Got it. Okay, so, yeah, looking ahead, the Tuesday before the weekend of of these rains, uh, the models started showing that upper low, Jim, that you were talking about over the Tennessee Valley. Um, That was the first inclination with a high-pressure ridge. For the viewers out there, this map – Uh, The red at the top is is a a large area of high pressure, what we call a ridge, which acts as sort of a cap to the north. Uh, So all these low pressures get trapped to the south as a result of that. This upper low starts to spin, and then over here to the far right, you can see Joaquin coming into the picture. Uh, These two together created a a sort of a superhighway for for fluid transport aloft, which created the the heavy-duty rain event. So we can see on Tuesday that the WPC comes out with their estimates and they're thinking at this point that Joaquin, which grew into a category five by the way down over the Bahamas, may start sliding north and actually make more of an east coast impact from Outer Banks, North Carolina, northwards. So we weren't even in that loop for the heaviest rains at that point. Uh, and there's the track for Joaquin. And so the cone of uncertainty still has uh, the, that side of the east coast uh, in it. And so you can never exclude the center uh, of these cones of uncertainty extending out to the left or the right sides of it. You can never exclude any of these areas when it comes down to uh, potential landfall. Uh, so Rob was talking about a, a frontal boundary that was in the area. Mm-hmm. And so he, we already had a warm front sort of stalled off the coastline. Here's our cold front coming towards the coast earlier in the week into midweek and that's going to drop in and join that entire area of rain so we already had rainfall um and a lot of moisture in the area joaquin is way over here hasn't even dropped down into the the bahamas yet so here comes the cold front and this is on let's see september the 30th i believe that was thursday no wednesday i'm sorry wednesday um and so we're, we're sort of going through history on this thing so everything's lining up you have that upper low you have the cold front. You already had the, the warm front activity offshore. You had Joaquin coming in the picture. So this is like a perfect storm, kind of, <laughs> of all the moisture coming together. Uh, and so here's WPC by Wednesday. They start moving this blob of rain down into South Carolina, and and uh, bringing the numbers up. So Joaquin's track changes, but that doesn't change us for the rain. Uh, and so at this point, I think everyone started to say, "Oh man, you know, we've got a we've got a serious problem on our hands because when the next." Uh, WPC rainfall amount came out it put us as the main target for the heaviest rainfall and that was as of Thursday and I think Thursday Rob what were you thinking at this point
1: well I and I'll I'll go to Jim because I think he was probably talking about one of the models we were looking at uh, the RPM one of the Mm in-house models and it was spitting out 21 22 inches for us and I'll be honest with you I sat with our news director and I said Brian I don't know if I want to put this on the air Uh, you know, this was way out there at that time. Now, I wish I had put it on the air now, but, uh, you know, the Monday morning quarterback, but, yeah, I was – you know, I, I, like I said, I knew we were going to get some rain. We knew it was probably going to be substantial rain. Uh, still was not really thinking it was going to be as much rain as we saw.
0: That is such a tough call when you see something like that. You, you can't uh, – usually your reliable sources, RPM, WPC – uh, the ones that, that you tend to see the best results from uh, your modeling outputs, such as that, that HER three kilometer and the uh, well, basically the same ones that I just mentioned, the other two. Um, you sort of hit, say something something's going on here, but I can't put right. 20 inches of rain. 13 inches of rain sounds a little bit more palatable, and, and you could actually go by the WPC on that. I think I was thinking, oh boy. Um, you know, we're looking at 13-plus inches no matter what. I think we're going to have some serious rainfall here. Um, and, and also with that frontal activity, we also had a northeast wedge working down the coastline and on top of it all, perigean spring tides and yeah. full moon. So, I mean, we already had combination for, for coastal flooding in place. And then you add driving winds, northeast winds into that. Um, and that that really ramped up things along our coastline. But, Jim, at this point, did you tell your audience, hey, you know, we've, we've got a serious situation on our hands, or were or you sort of hesitant to wait until maybe another day?
2: No. On Thursday, we went right ahead. And In fact, we did show the RPM. But when I showed it to them, I explained to the audience, I said, typically we probably wouldn't be showing you this, but the RPM, our studies have shown – the RPM does extremely well in tropical moisture situations and this was one of those situations. Why do I say that? Well on this graphic behind me you can see we were in inland from the coastal front uh, that had stalled just uh, offshore but if you took a look at the dew point temperatures along that front The dew point temperatures were in the mid 70s. You had very rich tropical air. And what was happening was as the upper level low came down into the southeast, it was drawing on that moisture and it was coming up over the front in an overriding situation, which just just continued to dump a lot of rain here in in, uh, the central part of the state. So, yes, on Thursday we were already trying to get people to understand that we had a historic rainfall event coming. And my, my take on that was the RPM was for us showing 15 to 17 inches of rain uh, here in the Columbia area. And I said, look, the record rainfall for Columbia is six and a half inches of rain. We've never (laughs) measured in a single day more than that. I said, I don't, you know, don't focus on the the actual amount. This is going to be historic, and we're going to see some flooding. Um, and, in fact, uh, because of that, you know, Friday night, it was in October. Friday night was a big night for high school football. On that Thursday, I, I went on the air that – was it Thursday or Wednesday? I can't remember which. And I, I said – I guess it was Wednesday – Wednesday, I had already gone on the air, and I said, look, if you're a high school coach, you need to change your football from Friday night to Thursday night. I said, Thursday night may be okay, but particularly in the eastern part of the Midlands, you're going to be getting hammered with rain. So you need to change your, your projected football games, and a lot of them did that um, by Friday night. Saturday night, uh, there was also a game, I think, at Clemson. And normally we would, send, <coughs> we would send our photographer to Clemson to cover the game. However, because of the impending rainfall, we were afraid that as the photographer was driving back, he'd be driving straight into the teeth of the storm. So we decided not to send anyone to that game, and and that was a good move because he would have been driving right into the flood.
1: And and Shay, uh, Jim was talking about historic. I, uh, you know, we sat here in Charleston one day rainfall totals, two day rainfall, three day rainfall, four day rainfall total records uh, for the first four days of October, and turned out to be our wettest October. Yeah, with uh, almost nineteen inches, eighteen point nine one which is the second wettest month ever behind June of 1973. So uh, when Jim mentions historic, he was right on the money.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to – let's see. I think he's got some – he's putting some up on the screen here. Jim, what you got there?
2: Well, you know, during the – leading up to the flood, everybody was saying this is a thousand-year flood. And my first question was, how do you know that? (laughs) And um, it, got, it, it got passed on to the governor, and every time she had a news conference, you know, I, she did a good job. I'm not criticizing that, but the information she was giving is a thousand-year flood. I said, how do you know that? So I told our staff, I said, do not refer to this as a thousand-year flood because I have no information that tells me it's a thousand-year flood. It's going to be historic. I can tell you that. So we'll just refer to it as a, a as a historic flood. So after the flood, uh, we do a lot of work with Climate Central, and so I asked them. I said, "You've got a statistician on staff. Can you can you run the numbers? Can you figure out what this was?" And it just so happens that at the same time, uh, some of the people over at the University of South Carolina were running numbers too, and they came out and said it was a thousand year flood and i was kind of perplexed because it was different from the numbers we were getting from climate central what they did at the university and i i finally got a chance to sit down and, and look at how they did things you know they no put together this almanac that uh that kind of gives you the the range you know um what what the rainfall has to be to meet the thousand year criteria It actually exceeded that. So even though they say it's a thousand year flood, it doesn't really differ from what our figures were. And this is this is kind of interesting uh, because Climate Central calculated this for Columbia and for Charleston. So let me give you Columbia first. Uh, You can see uh, this was the one day rainfall for October the 4th. That was a one in 250 year uh, event. Uh, for the two-day ending on October the 4th, we had uh, just under 10 and a half inches of rain. That was a one-in-2,000-year in event. And then the three-day rainfall ending on October the 5th was almost 11 inches. That was a one-in-9,000-year event. Now, that's pretty dramatic here in, in, uh, in the central part of our state. But you want to know something? There was also something. Let me, let me throw this up real quick because I've got the Charleston numbers here, too. Here we go. Your heaviest three-day total was ending October the 4th. Now, this is for the airport. Right. And they had almost 16 inches of rain. Turns out that was a one-in-750-year event. So it wasn't a one-in-thousand-year event for everybody. If you're closer to the coast, it actually occurs more often than it does here in the central part of the state. course you're closer to the moisture
0: right sure yeah Yeah. that's true
2: it was a rare event and and again this looked at the entirety of the rainfall record that we have obviously we don't have records that go back 9,000 years but you can do statistical work that shows you what the odds are that it will return so I, I said, then, then there's no way that anyone can say anything about climate change. They said no.
0: Well, I guess we'll have to wait 750 to 9,000 <laughs> years and, and then run the analogs on it, right? Well,
2: <laughs> you know, the, the interesting thing, and this is what confuses people, and this is why I don't like to use it. The thing is, you could have this marine fall up next year.
1: Next year, Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, it, it would still be a one in 750 year event, but you could still have it next year.
0: You know, I think it's amazing, you know, with all the data and everything we can collect and, and good job to the Coco Ross community. I got to mention them on the show because without them, we wouldn't have uh, 75% of the readings that we would get, uh, at least that.
2: Well, well, wasn't uh, but, wasn't, the, wasn't the, the rainfall in Berkeley County, didn't that come from a Cocoa Ros station?
0: A lot of them came from Raz that was ver- they were verified. Yeah uh, some yeah. Well, we had one or two that seemed a little bit errant. There might have been, or I think 26.4 inches that, that was wasn't really consistent with the, the nearby observations, but it was, it was fairly close. I mean we could probably say, Rob, I think we were right about 24 inches was the <laughs> highest one that was really kind of verified.
1: Yeah, and they kept using Boone Hall Plantation as the landmark, but actually it was a a weather station, a cooperative weather observer near Boone Hall. I think they were in Park West, so, um, but they kept using Boone Hall as the, (laughs) so people thought Boone Hall was underwater. And it really was, I mean, it was to a point, but not 24 inches worth. But yeah, that, Mm -hmm. that was one of the higher totals I saw right here close to home.
0: Right, right. And another, another thing that they're doing nowadays is um, we're actually able to record how much rainfall in trillions of gallons. And that's that's a new thing that we're looking at, models. And I got conflicting reports on that. One report said 4.4 trillion. Another report said up to a, upwards of 11 trillion gallons of water that fell over the state of South Carolina. So uh, either way, it's, a, it's an extreme amount of rainfall. But let me go back to the screen share. Let me know when you can see. I'm going to kind of tap back into that blog again (coughs) you see it okay
1: yep got it all right
0: Um, so yeah you know kind of going back through the history you know by the time we hit Thursday Joaquin's track it become a major hurricane and the track was going to take it north off the coastline Uh, surface map here's our upper low coming together Joaquin down over the Bahamas. We have another surface low that developed along the frontal boundary over Florida that helped to sort of channel that moisture, sort of tilt it positively up into the southeast region and wrap around the upper low, which before that that was called a negatively tilted trough. It was sort of a a meteorological term that a lot of us were using, but all of these, these lows were sort of bending the moisture into our area. And... There's Joaquin as it became a Category 4 at 155 miles per hour. And this is where the, what we call the fire hose started to turn on. And that was by Friday for us. Um, that was by October the 3rd. And then I have a couple of um, radar images here from uh, Wonderground that just that showed some of the initial surges of rain coming through the area. And you can see how thin the line is and how concentrated that rainfall is. And it really just took aim at Charleston to begin and then this is where you see the WPC jack up their their inches of rain up to 16.24 all the way in towards Columbia Um, some other graphics here from some of our weather flow products but then the winds came up along the coast and you're you're talking 34 to 47 miles per hour I mean you almost had tropical storm force winds going on uh, during these rains and and these there was some real bad squalls that came through so it wasn't, wasn't a tropical storm But yet it almost had the feel of it in the cloud the this cloud ceiling was very low over land uh, especially coming into the coastline and you can see here these winds were just super gusty and on top of the the perigean spring tide we already had some shallow coastal flooding going on this all came down you know at the same time as high tides on each day they were just brutal Uh, for saudi october the third our highest wind speed 52 miles per hour at 12 21 p.m Uh, that was a associated with some of these squall lines and storms that were coming through. You can see how, how uh, poor quality the wind is as a result of the storms. This is Folly Beach Pier, so this is a pretty clean uh, weather station out over the water that would have gotten these directions pretty well. Uh, you can see every one of these little spikes. It was an individual thunderstorm or storm cell moving into the area.
3: Hey, Shay, um, Shay, would you mind if I just cut you off for just a second? And I do horribly apologize because we're looking at some great data there. But we actually have a connection right now from Scotty. Uh, we're going to shift gears uh-huh. for just a second, if you don't mind, and kind of join our man in the field, if you will, uh re- forgive the pun and he is up right now in the uh, North Carolina mountains the western part of the state where they've been fighting some fire uh, wildfires out there and if we can pin his video up on the screen I want to see if he can actually hear us and describe a little bit of what he's showing and then we'll hop back into the conversation about the flooding
4: yeah can you guys can you guys hear me right now
3: yes God we got you go ahead
1: gotcha Uh,
4: okay Uh, first I apologize for not being on tonight I'm uh, actually out right now with emergency management Officials here in Western North Carolina uh, with some of the forest fires out here. This is currently in McDowell County. We're on scene of 125 mile or excuse me, 125 uh, acre forest fire right now that is just outside of the uh, downtown limits of Marion and McDowell County. Um, right now, the big worry is our humidities are still in the, the low 40s to upper 30s and our winds are gusting to around 15 to 20 miles per hour. So uh, as you can see, I was able to break away just a little bit to give you guys this video right here. But uh, this uh, fire right now is approaching uh, uh, people's homes. I'm actually standing in the road, and right behind me is about five or six homes that are uh, right now anxious to see what's going on with this fire. Uh, so, uh, Scotty, would you be able is to your scene video right, down right now the up here us. in the North Carolina mountains and foothills with uh, mm-hmm. these forest fires? That's uh, really starting to affect a lot of western north carolina
3: scotty if you would be able to just tilt your video down a little bit we're seeing the fire kind of right at the bottom of the screen where our thumbnails are yeah there we go there uh, scotty i know you've been out there for a little bit while uh a little while now what what can you describe for us in terms of the efforts ongoing to control and combat these fires
4: yes yeah, so right now in mcdowell county uh there's mcdowell burke uh, mitchell yancey in Rutherford County. Uh, So five different counties, along with the North Carolina Forest Service that is up here currently fighting this fire in in Rutherford County, the Lake Lure community. I know that's uh, been uh, shared publicly with a lot of people. Uh, They're actually evacuating homes in the Lake Lure area due to forest fires. There's a huge forest fire in Caldwell County, just outside of Lenore. Uh, One of the schools is open up for shelter. uh, Due to a community that that's been evacuated from the forest fires so a lot of uh a lot of activity going on right here i'm going to move out of the way because i have fire trucks coming right beside me but um a lot of activity going on up here and, and the bad thing about it is is we're going to stay dry for the next six seven days and something worse with the cold front moving through this weekend anticipating winds of 25 30 miles per hour Along with dry conditions and low humidities, I'm afraid we're going to see this scene uh, here in western North Carolina for at least a week or so.
3: Absolutely. You talked about those firefighters a moment ago. So, yeah, please, uh, we'll let them through. And, of course, stay safe where you are. They're doing a great job out there. And and you mentioned that cold front. Even here in the Charlotte area today, once those winds shift to the northwest, all of that smoke from up in your neck of the woods was coming down our way. I'm curious to know, if we're smelling it here, we're noticing it here in the Charlotte metro area, what is the air (laughs) quality like up for you in the foothills?
4: Yes, so uh, yesterday we were uh, under a code orange I think today, with the cold front passing through, that was down to a yellow. Uh, but as uh, as the the fronts move through, uh, we may see the air kind of stagnate once again. Uh, so we could probably see some uh, some more air quality issues Thursday and Friday before the next cold front moves through on Saturday.
3: Um, quest- for you, Scotty. And, and we've been looking at the bulletins that came out. You guys are in for some cold temperatures tonight, which, which won't necessarily stop the fire. But and I guess this is kind of a, a weird thing to think about when you're fighting fire. But are there precautions being taken for you and the other folks out there to stay warm while fighting the fires? Or is that kind of not an issue when you're that close?
4: Yeah, uh, uh, there's a, uh, there's a command center about, I don't know, probably a quarter of a mile away from where I'm at right now. Uh, there's uh, blankets, coffee, stuff like that. Uh, they have two or three buses uh, that they've got the heat on, kind of the command center. So uh, right now, temperatures are in the uh, mid to uh, uh, upper blankets, uh, 50s. Coffee, like so that. right now, the temperatures aren't that big of a deal. But as we do go through overnight, I don't know if you guys can see this, but we're getting a pretty good wind gust coming through here right now. Uh, there are, their temperatures are expected to drop into uh, the upper mid and uh, mid-30s. So that could become a, an issue as we go throughout the night.
3: All right, Scotty Powell. They're just, I mean, what looks to us like feet from these flames. So please be safe, Scotty. Uh, before we toss it back over to get back into our conversation about the historic playing events in South Carolina, I'll pause for a second and see if any of our guests or any of our panelists have questions for Scotty <laughs> while we have them on the line
1: uh actually i do have one question scotty this is rob and i know we've thrown around arson as a possible cause of this is that kind of what they're looking at there have not been any lightning strikes in that area so uh what are they what are they kind of investigating at this point
4: uh right now it's uh it is they they've got some some leads on uh was taking place. That's about all I can say right now without giving away too much into the vesti- investigation. But uh, they do have a few leads on on the probable cause of this, uh, and those are being followed um, as we speak right now. So uh, I will say it is it is human. Human uh, did cause this. So all right. thanks, Scotty. Yeah, no yeah. problem, guys. Thanks, Gus. Scotty. Yeah, Rob and Jim. I'm sorry for not being on tonight. Uh, kind of got called in to do this about 5 o'clock this afternoon, so I apologize, but can't wait to watch the show uh, later on this week.
0: Scotty, feel free to pop in in the next 20 minutes or so. Before we wrap up, feel free to pop in and, and let us know any new information you have.
3: Will do. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And Shay, we'll send it back over to you. My apologies to Jim and Rob and you. You were in the middle of a point, and we cut over to Scotty as as his connection came up. So I apologize. We'll get back into our discussion about
5: the historic flooding event last year in South Carolina. Okay. okay. About the, uh, spring tides coming in with the perigee.
0: Yes. Uh, spring tides, perigee perigean uh, perigee spring tides. Uh, perigee in, uh, for, the, for the listeners out there, or for the viewers, uh, a perigee perige with a full moon means that it's the closest to the earth that it can be, which draws the, the highest tide. Uh, so when you add wind and driving wind and rain into a perigee and spring tide, your, your uh, tidal level goes up. I mean, we were in high astronomical tide values for the coast that day, so naturally our coast- coastline flooded. Uh, these are just some other wind readings. This is the, the upper trough that dug down into the southeast region where the, these winds were 70 to 90 knots aloft that were really driving the moisture up and into the southeast. Um, I'm going to kind of skip through some of this and get down to, uh, let's see, here we go. Th- this kind of, this graphic right here sort of tells it in a nutshell within a few seconds. And then I'm going to run the rain radar uh, for the whole loop for the system and you'll see what happens. But you can, you can already see in this video before I started, this is the upper low. This is Joaquin well over here, uh, off to the northeast. And you'll see these two sort of create this fire hose over the state before uh, Joaquin heads off to the northeast. And here we go. So I'm gonna go ahead and play that.
5: <laughs>
0: and so you see the upper low just continue to wrap the moisture in out of Joaquin. I mean there's just an abundance of moisture there. So that's the loop and here is the four-day mosaic loop. And that this is where the cold front is and now this is where the adjoining moisture from the upper low in Joaquin comes in and then it really starts to turn on this point when it gets through southeast North Carolina. So that, uh, let me see what this one, this one sort of shows it in a, in a different loop. Just the amounts of rain, you can actually see it better throughout the state of what's going on. This is all frontal activity and then you'll see some runoff moisture inland uh, from that front. You can sort of see a line up here to the top cutting across North Carolina and this is where the front gets pushed back inland. And then Joaquin in the upper low uh, all come together and converge and send all this moisture into South Carolina. So this is what we were looking at, That's just when things really got heavy right here.
5: And see, so these are those uh, light to moderate rainfall rates that uh, were coming into Columbia, but then if you look you can see a lot of embedded convection, all those splotches of red just coming in and in and in and in, just one after the other. So you're getting a steady rain rate pretty consistently. And then you get, like, here we go. There's that <clears throat> embedded convection um, yeah. rain just yeah. uh, making and a bullseye for Columbia.
1: And what was interesting yeah. is we watched it kind of oscillate north, thinking we might have been out of it, and all of a sudden it kind of trended back to the south again. So uh, we may have had a little bit of a break, but not much.
0: Yeah, then it hand. comes
1: back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so,
0: I mean, the total rainfalls here, we had 2178 Um uh this is from the National Weather Service from Greenville Spartanburg. Um and, and joining with the with the, all the offices from Charleston right. uh, and Columbia as well. So, you know, they all sort of put their rain uh rain marks together. And you know, I'm sure we all have our graphics. Rob, you've got yours, Jim you've got yours. Um, you know, we're all aware of what what happened. I think here's that twenty six point eight eight that actually did come through on a National Weather Service storm total. Yeah. yeah that was yeah, that was a mm-hmm.
1: that was a cocoa raz. It was six miles northeast of Mount Pleasant.
0: Right. So it looks like looks like that one uh, was was actual ver- verified. Yeah, that's the um, one
1: I was referring
2: to. Yeah, uh, uh, and, it was it was an extreme amount. But yeah, uh, what, one one uh, thing that I do want to uh, focus your your animation showed it very clearly, and this is one of the things that concerned us here in South Carolina, one uh, in Columbia anyway, and, and why we actually believed the RPM model is because if you'll notice the rain pivoted that the axis of that rain pivoted as time went on and we were that pivot point and it showed up in the radar as well so not only did did we uh, see it on radar but that that whole orientation was predicted by the models
0: yep yeah very very impressive I I thought I thought some of those models did a fantastic job of seeing this coming, yeah. uh, and, and usually you end up having issues with models not reading the upper <laughs> atmosphere correctly, or they're not ingesting enough of the weather balloon information, or you're not getting enough of that, but uh, I think if this kind of event were to happen again, we'd, we'd probably see more launches, six-hour launches versus 12-hour launches. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's, yeah. One,
2: there's one other thing that we did not know until sometime afterwards. Researchers at North Carolina State University looked at this system, and one of the things that they found, keep in mind, Joaquin passed offshore some 500 plus miles. So why did we get so much rainfall? Well, as it turns out, it wasn't as much the moisture coming from the hurricane as it was the moisture that was already along the coast. The greatest impact of the hurricane in their research, and this was just published not too long ago in the uh, geophysical research letters, what they found was the hurricane helped to focus the rainfall. When they did computer simulations of this event without a hurricane, there was still heavy rain, Mm -hmm. but the focus was different. Instead of Charleston to Columbia being the focal point, it was from coastal North Carolina into Raleigh. Uh, I happened to mention this to Greg Fischel up at WRAL and he said, thanks for taking one for the team. (laughs) So I, you know, it's, it's sometimes when we're in the heat of battle, you know, we're not thinking of these things. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on. We're trying to forecast the weather. Um, and, and, and sometimes you don't completely understand how everything is unfolding, it's not until afterwards that you can analyze the data that you begin to see things you didn't see when the event was going on. So,
0: Jim, tell us a little bit about some of the dams in, up, up in your neck of the woods. That uh, uh, Did they fail, or did they open them up intentionally? Or, or what was the situation there? Because we had a lot of river flooding downstream uh, <laughs> when these dams over, either overflowed, failed, or a combination of both.
2: Well, I, actually, you know, because we've got the huge dam here at Lake Murray. And 24 hours before the rainfall event, they opened that thing up. And so they were trying to draw down Lake Murray because, as, you're, as you have already shown, the National Weather Service had some of this heavy rain going all the way up into the upstate. Well, where's that rain going to go? Well, it's going to go downstream, yep. and it's going to be coming to us. And they were concerned about Lake Murray. So those situations, you know, the big dams are all – monitored very closely and so they were they were opening the gates 24 hours in advance but there are a lot of dams um Der- derek becker with the south carolina emergency management division he was telling me afterwards he says well you know there are about 10,000 dams in south carolina but only about uh 20 about only about 24 25% of them are regulated so you've got 75 percent of the dams that are not regulated Um, a lot of these either fall into two categories they're either for agriculture or they're for um, communities that have built these lakes as a kind of a a scenic uh, part of the community and that's what happened here in the eastern side of Columbia. We have a series of dams along Gills Creek. Now, Gills Creek has not flooded for a long time in my memory. So no one was prepared for what happened. And what happened was at the Gills Creek rainfall gauge, in, by, by Sunday afternoon overnight saturday into midday sunday the rain gauge picked up 19 inches of rain with that much water going into the gills creek system the first dam broke which caused the next dam to break which caused the next dam to break so you had a cascading failure of of dams and that just flooded everything down gills creek and several of my friends had their homes flooded in fact One of them had to be rescued, Um, and and she had to come out to the boat from the second floor of her house, Um, and it just went all the way downstream. We still have a lot of debris in Gills Creek that has never been cleaned up from the flood, which means that Gills Creek right now is still more susceptible to flooding than it was before the flood of last year.
0: Wow. Wow. Kit, did you have a uh, question? He can hear?
5: Uh, he had. We had his mic on earlier.
3: I think
4: he's... Uh, uh, he's there we go, there
5: hello? He I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> All right, so earlier in the show, I had no audio and I got my headset switched out, but um, uh, one thing that we were looking at was the WPC uh, predictions for just rainfall totals and all of the focus was on, oh, Joaquin's going to be uh, making all this rain. Look, uh, it looks like it's going to make this turn to the north. Um, and Shea had that uh, cone forecast earlier that was showing it just sort of riding the coast. Um, and I know uh, the euro is uh, sort of loved and hated, but the euro was doing well out of all the other ones in its consistency of its turn back to the north and east. Um, so there was the fact that it was turning away from the coast, but there was still all that rain. So my question is, were we putting faith in the models showing all this rain, but that it was only going to be a hurricane and not a second um, source of rain? Uh, I, we're I know have a hurricane and we're going to have a lot of rain.
1: Yeah, I think as Jim mentioned earlier, I know we, we were playing it as a rain event. Uh, we really mm-hmm. felt like we were going to get rain. Uh, Joaquin just came in to the game. Uh, obviously, we're watching Joaquin because we watch everything tropical, and it was in the Bahamas, and anytime it gets in there, you know we've got to keep a good close eye on it. Uh, still, knowing that the cone of uncertainty wasn't that far off of our coast here in Charleston, so uh, we we're looking at a rain event and we we're looking at a potential hurricane Strike or at least some kind of an impact from Hurricane Joaquin. I don't know if we really combined the two uh, as it eventually came out to be, but uh, I know we were looking at both of those as a potential weather maker for us here along the coast, knowing that regardless whether it's not, if there's not a hurricane at all, we're still going to get big rains. And now I wish I would have put that RPM on the air.
2: <laughs> well, you know, in, in our particular case, we knew by Thursday that the hurricane was not going to be an important factor for us. I can't, I can't talk about Rob's situation because I wasn't really focused on the coast. I was focused right here because we were just going to get a t- tremendous amount of rain. And I'm trying to figure out w- w- what's going on here. Uh, by Thursday, though, we were very confident. This was not a rain event from the hurricane this was a rain event from the upper level low and mm-hmm. so our entire focus changed and we were focused on that and, and quite frankly to be honest with you after thursday we just ignored the hurricane uh, because it wasn't going to play a factor here in central south carolina now, along the coast there y'all had some 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 windy conditions we did not and and it's it's a good thing because with the leaves that were still on the trees if we had had some strong winds there would have been a lot of trees coming down. We did not have that problem Our highest wind gust was about 29 miles in. Yeah, we had
0: a We had a, an intensified gradient along the coast because the, the force mm-hmm. the outward force of Joaquin in the upper low pushed that yeah. cold front back inland and so that created your gradient Normally if you have a cold front along the coastline with the low You don't you don't have much of a gradient there, right? It, it, can, it can develop closer to, to a storm But certainly that far out, um, that's when you get that easterly to that northeast wedge working its way into the coastline and gaining momentum. Uh, And that really just, yeah, that sort of turned it on. I mean, at the surface. And and, in fact, real quick, uh, before I know we're starting to get on the 9 o'clock hour here, um, I did want to show this real quick. And this is kind of for the weather geeks out there. But (laughs) you can see the, uh, let's see here. I had the skew T. Here it is, the skew t for Charleston, this is the weather balloon sounding. This is when they send a weather balloon up and this is from October the 2nd. And this is the, it's gonna be summertime, or I'm sorry, fall, that'd be Eastern Daylight Savings Time, eight eight o'clock p.m. And the red and the green lines, when they're close together, that means the moisture level is higher. And you can see how close these lines are. I don't think I've seen a skew t with this much of a moisture column all the way up to 100 millibars in a very long time and you probably won't see anything like this again um, unless well hurricane matthew came kind of close but uh, rob you ever see anything in all of your years here in charleston anything kind of close to this
1: uh, not at all in fact I, you know i've seen shay's blog before and, and jim did a great job uh, went to the tropical weather conference Uh, last year and Jim put something together on video that we played before our presentation and Shea was nice enough to let me see his blog and his uh, information. So when I looked at this, I couldn't believe it and and how saturated the column of air was all the way up. And uh, yeah, the end result is, is not surprising when you look at that.
0: And that just shows, you know, a lot of times we end up getting rains, uh, heavy rains on one level at the surface level, or or we get it at the mid level or we get it upper level. Uh, but that was combined all the way up. You had just the entire atmosphere from top to bottom was completely saturated, and that, that's not not very common here, even at the coastline. Uh, James, Aaron, Kit, do you guys have any other questions before we start to wrap it up?
3: I have one from a, from a broadcasting standpoint, and neither Jim or Rom can take it, but I'm wondering if there's anything as a newsroom you guys learned from this event that maybe is incorporated into – Future coverage plans how things may have adapted to how a situation might be handled in the future
1: Yeah, I, I can speak on that briefly. Um, you know, we're a we're a smaller station smaller market uh, So we get a lot of new journalists who come in and a lot of them got their feet wet no pun intended with the October 2015 floods so um, you know, I think in a way it helped us because a year later We have Matthew, and now these young journalists have a year under their belt. They've covered a major event like that, and I think the Matthew coverage probably prospered or was uh, better because of that reason. Now, we don't always get those teaching uh, opportunities like we had with 2015, but I think our folks took advantage of that lesson and and put it to the test, and I think Matthew coverage from our standpoint was better because of it. But, you know, there were a lot of things that we – we could have done better, could have done differently. But when you're in this business, you just kind of, you got kind of to go with the flow and uh, you, you react to what's going on in your community. And, uh, you know, Charleston got hit pretty hard, but then our focus really started going to the rivers as uh, all that rain started to flow down towards the coast. And so a lot of our focus ended up in Georgetown County or down in Colleton County at the Edister River or the Santee or the Black or the Waccamaw because of all the flooding. One thing I wish, and, and I was hoping, and Shay, you can kind of speak on this too, that we learned a lesson. We don't have enough river gauges here in the low country, especially the Ashley River, which a lot of people live along the Ashley River, and it un- unfortunately came back to bite us again with Hurricane Matthew. That we don't have good enough gauges to to measure the water levels and, and give people you know needed warning that they they certainly need and, and want. Right,
0: I think the U.S. Geological Service has several, um, and, and but I'm not sure how far up the rivers they go. I mean, we really would need an array uh, right. of sensors all the way up the rivers to to gauge that because uh, when you get into the like with Waccamaw River, when you get up into north of Georgetown, like you were just mentioning up near Conway, they just got in there. FEMA was just able to get in there about a week about a week ago. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, three and a half weeks after Matthew's gone. And so these rivers and, and these, these inland, the inland watershed, it really just floods very easily now. And um, yeah, the connection, I would say the Edisto River would be a good common one, Savannah River, uh, having an array all the way up to Columbia to be able to gauge that. And I'm not sure, i have to go back and look at the USGS um, parameters for where they have those sensors, but I think they're very sparse. I think there's maybe one about a mile inland of the Ashley River, another one in the Ace Basin, and another one. Uh, Up to Cooper and Wando's I think they each have one there, but not not very far up not far enough inland where you can gauge What's going to happen from from where the water runoff inland
2: comes out towards the ocean? Uh, How about you Jim? Do you have anything to add? Well, uh, we're part of a a Bigger broadcast group. We're a techno station and uh, I had uh, About a year before had already raised the question because you know they've been reducing staffs as staffs are Throughout the country, they're being reduced at a TV station. I said, you know, we're, we're staffed for a sunny day, but if it gets partly cloudy, we're in trouble. <laughs> and uh, they said, hey, no, 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 we, we've got a plan. I said, fine. So when, when this came up, uh, that entire week, I had been on conference calls with corporate. And I said, okay, I want to know what your plan is. And so we, they laid out the plan. And they put it into effect almost immediately. The flood occurred Saturday morning here in Columbia. By Saturday evening, they had doubled the size of the reporting staff of this TV station. That's how fast they reacted. And for the next two weeks, we had twice the staff that we normally have. So we were not only able to cover Columbia, but we were able to cover all of the surrounding rural areas as well and that was pretty significant here in central south carolina uh <coughs> excuse me and, and and so that worked out fine and that kind of plan was also put into effect for hurricane matthew now the national weather surface assessment team came through after the flood and we had a chance to visit with them and they also came through after hurricane matthew and mm-hmm. i wanted to share this specific thing so now we've gone through two years two major floods and they said well you know what what do you what would you like to see i said you know your forecast for storm surge was really good we knew the rivers were going to flood we just did not have any way to illustrate how much of the river was we had no idea that nichols was going to go into water i said we need graphically a way to project the area that's going to be inundated by rivers so that is the task of the national weather service they need to come up with a better way of illustrating the inundation from a river
0: yeah they they certainly cover those areas for for flood warnings and Um, All their advisories that go on but uh, I tell you I don't think anybody was prepared for it I don't think we've seen anything like that in many many years unless it was from Hugo or Mm Another tropical system that came in
2: now Hugo was a different beach because it was moving so fast Yeah, you know our our total rainfall around the area was just three to six inches well here. We were looking at uh, 12 to 21 inches of rain so it's big difference
0: Okay, does anyone have
5: any go ahead kit? I think I've got the uh, one final question so uh, dozens across the state dozens and dozens of uh, dams were breached broken uh, spilled over Um one, one thing I do remember is uh, Lake Wiley and Lake Norman uh, they were starting to get pretty pretty high um, past full pond and they wanted to let the waters go but South Carolina was still trying to drain all the floods that were there There started to be concern of flooding uh, upstream of everything uh, flowing down from the mountains. But after all those uh, dams were breached, and how long did it take to? And are there still like dams that haven't been replaced? And then pile on top of that, you've got Matthew damage that's come through. Hmm. Oh
2: yeah, oh yeah. In fact, uh, at last count, there were still fifty-one dams that have not been repaired
5: wow
2: wow and, and as far as roads are concerned i think I think the last report that I saw thirty four roads are still washed out
0: hmm. are those roads that people live on, or are they access roads for utilities or no
2: they're they're paved roads
0: Wow, hmm. so they just don't have so, the infrastructure to to do it huh
2: no and it's gonna, wow. it's going to take the rest of this decade to repair the infrastructure.
5: Wow. be interesting to see how long it takes to to repair from something that happened uh, a year ago already.
2: Well, Hurricane Matthew didn't help. No, not at all.
0: Now, I think we need a long break from any storms. <laughs> <laughs> please, we could, please we could use it. we don't, <laughs> we, don't we don't need to we'll take a little rain. Yeah, we, we still need a little rain from time to time. Yes. but uh, Okay, well, does anyone we have, have, we have well, anything so. to add to the to the conversation? I know that uh, Rob's in station, and, and Jim, I think you might be in station as well, yeah. so we don't want to keep you too long.
5: I'm going to see if questions? Scotty's uh, around at all, see if he can hop on one last time.
0: Okay. While you're doing that, I'll go ahead and uh, one thing we do when we wrap up a show is we give each of our guests an opportunity to introduce – Uh, not introduced, you've already been introduced, but uh, to sort of tell where our guests can get in touch with you, how they can follow you, maybe on Twitter, on Facebook, and sort of give their social media uh, addresses or anything that they can give out to the public. So I'll start with you, Rob.
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, We're very active on social media. Rob, uh, Storm Team 2 on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I Snapcast. (laughs) I do Snapchat, so... You can find me Rob Fowler Fowler, WX. So yeah, you got to do everything these days. Instagram the whole bit. Just look up Rob Fowler Weather, and and you should be able to find me. But uh, all the followers we can get, please come on, bring it on.
0: (laughs) I haven't quite gotten there yet. I'm just just getting into the Instagram, but but Snapcasting. uh, That's (laughs) very brief. (laughs) I I teased Rob about it. You know, it's opening Pandora's box. Now we're all going to have to do it.
1: Yeah, when you have a 25-year-old daughter, she's a dad. If you want to get to my group, you got a Snapchat. So,
0: I bet the news station gives you props on that.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. The the young kids love it. They think it's cool.
0: And how about you? Oh, we got – you want to give Scotty a little bit bit of time on real quick before we get to Jim on uh, sign-off, or or do you guys have to go somewhere?
1: Uh, I probably got to run. I got a 10 o'clock to do on the CW, but uh, I thank you guys for letting me be a part of this again. And – Always a pleasure to join this this excellent group.
5: Thanks, Rob. Good to have you
1: on again. And uh, Scotty, be safe out there, my friend. Thanks, Rob.
4: Appreciate it. Good seeing
1: you. All right, same here.
0: All right, we're gonna throw it to Jim real quick.
2: Uh, um, yeah. Let, yeah. Uh, let our guests know how to how they can find you. Well, uh, mine's really easy on on Twitter and Facebook. It's Jim Gandy WLTX. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. Easy enough. Very good. Well, we thank you for coming thank on tonight.
0: And, and Thank you for having us, me. Giving us your side of the story from the rain event from October 2015. And uh, we're going to finish up the show by going to Scotty. He's got uh, an update for us at, with the wildfires up in western North Carolina. So go ahead, Scotty. Yeah,
4: thanks, Shay. Can you guys hear me?
0: Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. Good deal.
4: Uh, yeah, so uh, just – Got back here to command center. Uh, some firefighters getting ready uh, to go back out here. Uh, probably about 15, 20 of them about to go out. Uh, they're getting uh, dispatched to a certain area that's coming close to, uh, within 20 feet of a home right now. So uh, they're going to go and uh, try to uh, get everything taken care of there. Uh, but as far as uh, wind, still kicking up. Humidities are still low. Uh, temperatures are uh, into the low 50s now. So uh, it's uh, going to be a very uh, long night here in Western North Carolina with these wildfires. Uh, no new fires to report as of uh, our last talking. Uh, but again, uh, these firefighters starting to get a little bit tired and uh, they've been uh, on this fire since about two o'clock today. So uh, it's starting to wear on them a little bit. Uh, I did hear uh, some reinforcements coming in from uh, some of the mountain counties uh, up to our Northwest. So uh, this fire is a hundred acres. Um, they, to skip out of the uh, the meeting there with the Forest Service, I think they were talking anywhere between 60 to 80 percent contained. Uh, but with this wind picking up, uh, we may lose some of that containment. So uh, that's about the latest I got right now here uh, from Mary. And I'd be uh, glad to take any questions if you guys have any. Scotty, are
5: you?
0: Go ahead, are you oh, I was just gonna ask, Scotty, are you actually forecasting? With emergency management, are you working with them to try to help determine what the winds are going to be and and how the temperature and humidity are going to work into the the fires for overnight?
4: Yeah, so we're here with emergency management, and uh, uh, right now we're we're looking at the winds, trying to look at uh, some of the data when we think it'll start to subside a little bit. Um, I'm telling you, though, it's pretty gusty right now, uh, uh, currently, and – it's been gusty for the past hour, so uh, also looking at the humidity values and when we could start to see some inversion uh, with smoke, so uh, we're going to be here on scene for the next few hours. Uh, I think the Forest Service said they are going to be on scene all night tonight, uh, along with a lot of the uh, local fire departments here, so uh, I'm getting ready to shift off, uh, hand it over to somebody else because I have to be back here tomorrow afternoon and evening, and probably Dedicate all my Saturday up here because with the uh,
3: next cold front passage. Scotty, I want to ask you a second ago. You were giving us an update on the containment progress as you understand it. And I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Was it 16 to 18 percent or was it 60 to 80 percent?
4: 60 to 80. Okay, 60 that's, to 80
3: right now. That, that's what I thought. Uh, that seemed like more of a realistic number that they, they <laughs> might be able to estimate than 16 percent that per se. But uh, I wanted to clarify. And for folks who missed your earlier report, can you give us an idea of where you are again?
4: Yeah, so uh, right now I'm in McDowell County in Marion. Uh, actually, I think we are one mile from the downtown area of Marion where the hospital's at. Uh, so this is actually fairly close to home, uh, or not home, to uh, town. And uh, I'm going to put my other earbud in so I can hear you guys a little bit better. But uh, yeah, so we're in Marion, uh, just outside of the city, uh, downtown area uh, in McDowell County. But we also have forest fires going on in Caldwell County, Burke County uh, Relaford County and then Southwest, uh, corner of North Carolina, Macon, uh, Graham, uh, places like that, uh, several large forest fires there. I think, uh, don't hold me to this, uh, because I've been kind of off of the scene, but I do believe Macon County and Southwest North Carolina is considering a, a state of emergency due to the forest fires there. I'm sure you guys could probably look that up, uh, uh, while I'm talking about it. But uh, again, a very, uh, Dangerous situation here in Western North Carolina. Uh, even even this afternoon, people out burning trash and burning leaves and stuff like that. And I, I don't think they understand just how critical uh, the fire weather is right now. It is so dry. We've went 32, 33 days without rain. Uh, we've I would think anywhere between eight to ten inches below normal in the rainfall department. Anyway, uh, it's been a, a dry year here in Western North Carolina. So. Uh, we're encouraging people no burning. There is a burn ban out, but I guess uh, some people aren't taking is not taking that serious right now.
3: Yeah, we're still waiting for today's numbers to come in from the North Carolina Forest Service, but as of yesterday, their preliminary number is 17 total wildfires burning over 20 acres of private and state-owned land, and that was yesterday, and that was before we had these kick-up of winds and these these additional fires. Um, Scotty, are you able to give us, as we're looking at the map here to better understand, and we're waiting for all this new data to come in today, do you, are you able to give us a, a cross street or a landmark that, that, that you're near right now? Because I know you said this might be threatening some homes.
4: Oh, goodness. Uh, Whitetail Drive? Um, we are right out
3: off the intersection
4: of two twenty one and Old Greenlee Road. I'm telling you, this wind is crazy out here. Um, very breezy out here. So, uh, Old Greenlee Road and Highway two twenty one is probably the best cross reference in McDowell County that I can give you right now. Uh, I'm not sure of all the the subdivision streets and, and stuff like that where we are, but uh, Old Greenlee Road and uh, Highway uh, two twenty one North.
3: Uh, We know there's an active investigation going on to find out how this started in addition to the active uh, progress underway to try to contain it. What agencies have you seen on scene there over the last few hours?
4: Yeah, so right now we have uh, McDowell County Emergency Management along with the Forest Service as well as um, uh, just numerous uh, fire departments within the county. So uh, North Carolina Forest Service and McDowell County Emergency Management, at least on this fire, uh, taking the charge to see – how we can get this uh, fire uh, extinguished and what the uh, what the cause was. You want to be see? on the camera, Steve? Huh? here. here, here. <laughs> this is this is our. Uh, th- that's the Steve. He uh, he's been running, and getting us food this evening, so he's been a big big help tonight. Can
0: you stay safe with this, guy. Good-
4: yeah, it's, it's it's always a, an exciting. Uh, Time here in Western North Carolina. It seems like uh, when we get rid of one thing, uh, we have something else. So,
0: hey, if you don't mind me asking, real quick, what is, what is your estimated elevation where you're at right now?
4: Uh, it is uh, 1,450. Okay. Uh, 1,450 feet right now.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing at Hogback Mountain, South Carolina. That's significantly higher. I think it's about 3,000 feet. Uh, winds are 35 to 38 knots. Um, Asheville Airport showing 14 knots, but that easily could be 20 to 25 knots because of land shadowing effects there. Yeah, and
4: the Asheville airport is uh, its kind of in a little valley too. so. Right. So, yeah, area. you're looking at
0: easily 20 to 25 knots up in that area that's just driving those fires.
4: Yes, yeah, and we were up there earlier. Embers just flying everywhere with the wind. So uh, pretty dangerous mm-hmm. night here in, West, in uh, McDowell County.
5: Scotty, and one update on, uh, Scotty was talking about Macon County, I did find uh, on Facebook that uh, there are areas near Hayesville which are, uh, due to increased growth in smoke and in the spread of the fire, there are mandatory evacuations um, in places around Hayesville and Macon County.
3: Scotty, I'm just looking uh, at the location that you're at in Google Maps here to make myself a little bit more familiar with it, and I see not too far from this neighborhood is the Marion City Filter Plant. That's how it at least appears here on Google Maps off of Old Greenlee Road. Uh, any that's, sort of impact? That,
4: that, that's where we're staged at right
3: now. So that's, okay, uh, so, so of any, any, sort of impact on, any sort of impact on municipal services?
4: No, not right now. It's uh, it's probably a quarter, half a mile away from us. And, and the way the wind's blowing and the direction the fire's been going, it's been going away from from the site where we are. So, so far, so good.
3: All right, Scotty Powell, live on the scene for us tonight. Thanks for checking in and stepping away. Stay warm, stay safe to you and everyone else out there. That's, that's all the questions I've got. And I, don't, I don't want to cut off anybody else if they had questions for you.
4: Yep. All right, guys. Well... Go ahead, Scotty. Yeah, I was just say I appreciate. It. I think my battery's about to die, so I'm gonna get my phone charged up. <laughs> but uh, we'll see you guys next week uh, here at the Carolina Weather Group. I think we're talking about uh, the winter weather preview next week, so looking forward to that.
5: Yeah. Right, I've got that pulled up right here. Perfect. segue right. to Kit.
4: All right, I'm about to die, so was, or my battery's about to die, so I'll see you guys later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you later, Scotty. All right, see ya. All
5: right, Kit, on you. communication in there from Scotty. All right, so uh, as he segued uh, to me, uh, next week we have a winter weather preview with uh, the Weather Pros. We've got a few guests on uh, next week on the 16th for that one, um, as I stall for time. Which guests we'll have on? Um, it's Let's see here. Uh, we've got, um, oh, the Weather Pros is a consulting company themselves. So uh, we'll have them on uh, with clients in 20 states, uh, it seems. Um, we'll have them on next week talking about uh, the next winter weather season coming up. Um, and then uh, we'll have uh, Michael Lowry on the following, uh, n- excuse me, no, the final week in November we'll be taking a break the Thanksgiving. Um, and the week following that on November 30th, we'll have Michael Lowry on. To review the 2016 and, and all the goings-on of this past year, uh, some would be that we had Hurricane Alex in January and a couple other hurricanes before the hurricane season even started. And then, uh, obviously, we had Hermine and Matthew, some of the more recent uh, big impact storms. what we have scheduled isn't until December 14th. So we've got a couple wfmy wfmy uh, spotter what spotter network night so we'll have uh, their spotter network out there on with the wfmy team thank you kit i just wanted so, so
0: uh, to step in um kind of break it up just a little bit there i want to make sure that the listeners uh could could hear I, I know you said that we have michael lowry coming on uh from the weather channel on november the 30th to discuss the 2016 hurricane season uh, then we take a we have a break next week for Thanksgiving, but on December the 7th, we have communication of the real threats of flooding with Dr. Marshall Shepard, also from the Weather Channel Weather Geeks, the show, uh, and then we have the Weather Spotter Network night on December the 14th.
5: I did not see uh, Dr. Shepard's thing on the schedule, but yes, that is correct.
0: Yeah, so we have uh, two back-to-back individuals from the Weather Channel coming to join us. that will be an exciting couple of weeks, so we hope you join us. And with that said, I think we're going to wrap
2: this up for the Carolina Weather Group tonight, and we will see you next week.